Hi everyone, you're listening to Latinas with Masters podcast. Like and subscribe and comment down below. Thank you for listening. Latinas with Masters podcast is a culturally minded podcast created to inspire, empower, and educate nuestra comunidad and future generation leaders navigate the hard knocks of higher education. Hosted by me, Christina Rodriguez, founder and creator of Latinas with Masters, MBA graduate and future doctora pursuing my doctorate degree in educational leadership, and on a mission to master diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in the spaces we all live, work, and learn all while embracing and preserving nuestra cultura. Like and subscribe and follow Latinas with Masters on all social platforms. Thank you for listening to Latinas with Masters podcast, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Christina, and you're listening to Latinas with Masters podcast. On this episode, episode number nine, I have uh, Paulina, um, who is currently a communication studies professor, an entrepreneur, digital marketing strategist, and a research associate with the Intimate Communication Lab. She currently owns two businesses, a digital marketing agency that helps small business thrive, and Eres Una Maravilla, a tiendita that celebrates Latinx cultura. Please join me in welcoming Paulina to the Latinas with Masters podcast. Hey, what's up, girl? Hi, Christina. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. You're welcome. You're welcome. So thank you for joining us um, on this episode. And I'm so happy that we were able to not only build a friendship um, prior to the podcast, um, because me and you have very uh, similar academic journeys, uh, business ventures. And um, I I really feel that it was... um, a great opportunity to hear your story um, because it's, it is different from some of the podcast guests I've had, but it's not uncommon within our Latinx community. Um, so I definitely wanted um, to have you here because you are definitely someone that is admired and, you know, uh, someone that is contributing to the success of our Latino culture. Um, so I also wanted to honor you and give you a platform um, for you to share all the amazing things that you're doing for us. Um, but before we go into um, what those amazing things are, I definitely would like people to get to know you better. Um, so I would like to start off to talk about more about you and your family and your early education. So if you can tell us um, where your family's from and where you grew up. Yeah, um, both of my parents are from Guanajuato, Mexico. Um, and so they moved to the US in, they were in their early 20s. Um, and so they set up shop in South Los Angeles. That's where I grew up, that's where I'm from. Um, and I have an, a younger sister and two older brothers. But my parents, when they got here, they like hit the ground running, they set up their own business. Uh, my dad learned uh, carpentry when he was like 15. And so they, my, my parents decided to set up a custom made furniture business. So my dad was a carpenter, my mom was a seamstress. And me and my siblings were always at the shop because <laughs> that's how it worked, you know, there was no babysitters. And uh, so we grew up with, with that work ethic, right? We knew that 
to get what we wanted, we needed to work really hard to get it. And it's something that is still influences me and my decisions, you know, on a daily basis. So that's where my parents are from. We grew up in a really, you know, old school Mexican household. Um, I learned how to clean. I learned how to cook. If I wanted to go out with my friends, I had to like iron the shirts. I had to clean oh the kitchen, God, right? <laughs> Am I taking you back? <laughs> trigger alert. I'm triggered. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's a little bit about how I grew up. Oh my God, girl. So I couldn't leave the house unless I despulgar the beans and I had to make sure like all the rocks were taking out. I had, oh my God, girl. Yes. So you gave me like flashbacks girl <laughs> um, <laughs> my kids have no idea what that even means you know but um so so it sounds like definitely your, your parents came here at you know a young age and hit the ground running and became entrepreneurs right so they yeah. learned an industry where they were able to also give back right to the community and um so um, I know you had mentioned that you have a younger sister and two older brothers. So did your older brothers um, go to college or what was, um, what was your early, your earliest childhood of wanting to go to college? Yeah. So I was first to graduate in my family with my bachelor's, uh, the first to get a master's degree. My older brothers, uh, they're older by like six and eight years. So they, they did go to college, but I think, um, I was the first one to graduate with the bachelor's and then my one of my oldest brothers followed after that and my youngest sister also went to college uh, but she did more of a trade she went into fashion and that's her thing she loves it and she's fantastic at it um but yeah i mean i think for me the earliest memory i have of wanting to go to college man i really don't even know that i can tell you it because i think it's always been the thing at my house mm -hmm. my parents I think both of them just made it to like sixth grade in Mexico. So when they came here and we were growing up, education was everything. Like I had to do really well in school. Um, I still remember like in elementary school, my mom would pick, pick us up because we were really close to my elementary school. So she'd walk to get us to pick us up. And we'd come home, we'd get out of our uniform because you know, the uniform has to stay clean and look nice. And then she'd be like, okay, a la tarea, like homework right away. And when we didn't have homework, I have this, like this memory of her having us like go through the dictionary and just like write out mm -hmm. terms, you know, like to just get us, keep us focused and to get us into school. And I still remember like getting a B or I think in elementary school it was like a three, right? I think a four was an A or whatever. Um, having a B was the worst thing I could possibly have. Like my, my mom would look at me and she'd be like, that's a B. Why isn't it an A, you know? So education was the thing. And my mom especially was always really serious about us getting a, a, a college education. And I think that that mostly stemmed from them wanting us to have an opportunity here in the US, better opportunity than them because they weren't able to finish school. Um, and so I think as, I, I, I can't really remember when I first wanted to go to college because I think it was always just part of my plan. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I didn't, I didn't get that serious about it until maybe high school when I understood more and I knew it was a possibility for me to get, you know, a bachelor's degree. Um, but education was always super important in my, in my home to my parents. 
So when you were in how in high school in South LA, did they have a program where they would mentor high school students into college or community college? Were you able to go directly to a four-year university or did you take the two-year uh, community college path and then transfer? So my experience was a little bit different because I grew up in South LA and that's where we lived, but my mom used to do that thing where Man, I don't even know what it's called anymore. It wasn't that it was part of LAUSD, but you can apply and like earn points to move your kids somewhere else, like to a quote unquote better school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I ended up going to high school in Hollywood, to Hollywood High. Um, and I'm lucky that at that school, there was one counselor who was meant to be like the college counselor. I am, I can't remember her name anymore, but she was super sweet and attentive and she really wanted to make sure that you at least had all the information that you could uh, to go to college. So I was lucky in that sense, but there was no mentorship program. There was nothing like that. And all I can remember in high school specifically was just that, that counselor who was like the college counselor, right? You went to her to help with applications or to learn about different colleges and their programs, things like that. But I'm pretty sure, I mean, I'm not too familiar with LA, but I'm pretty sure down the street of Beverly Hills, I'm assuming it's Beverly Hills, right? Because everybody in the Bay Area, you say LA and it's just, it's Hollywood, it's Universal, it's, it's Disneyland, it's Six Flags. Right. That's LA, you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's the Walk of Fame. <laughs> it's a Walk of Fame. Even when you go visit other, um, I know my cousins that live in Florida, and when I say I'm from California, they're like, oh, you're from LA. No, I'm not from LA, I'm from San Francisco oh, LA. No, LA is like hella down there. I'm hella up there. Like I literally talk like that and they, they're like, oh, by Disneyland. And I'm like, no, it's no. Not <laughs> no, but, but what I've learned in my doctoral program is that you can have a school like Hollywood or underserved uh, high school and you can mm-hmm. have, you know, um, you know, another high school in Beverly Hills or, you know, that's predominantly white or a different demographic that you know that's non-BIPOC and they have the mentorship program they'll have you know those opportunities to visit you know colleges and provide the the transfer pathways right to attend college and so um it sounds like that is that was the common practice um during that time that that I'm learning yeah in those studies um so so I know you had said that you went to um, CSU Los Angeles, right? Is that mm-hmm. where you, so what do you guys call it? Because I, I went to a state school, you know, we call it SF State. I don't know how, what do you guys call it over there? I always say Cal State LA. Cal State so, LA. Okay. Yeah, that's how I say it. I don't think I've ever said CSU LA. <laughs> I think I always, I always say Cal State LA. But um, yeah, well, after, after high school, I actually finished high school dreaming and hoping that I would become a dance teacher. I had been doing ballet at the high school for a while and I decided that's what I want to do. I want to teach ballet. And so I didn't go straight into a four-year university. I went to community college. Um, I thought I could save some money. And since I was doing dance, the college that I decided to go to, they had like a, a dance certification program so that you could teach. And I think it was like two year program. Mm-hmm. So that's how I started my college journey is majoring in dance. About a year in, I couldn't stand the pain in my knees anymore. 
Um, and that was really more because I didn't take care of myself properly when I was dancing and there was just a lot of strain on my body. Um, so I went to the doctor and he just kind of said, if you're not committed to doing all these stretches and these exercises to keep your knees okay, then I suggest you find something else that you want to do. Um, and that messed me up because, you know, it already been like a year and here I was like planning, you know, I'm almost, I'm almost done. I'll get to start teaching. And then suddenly I had to choose another major because I didn't want to walk around with a cane at 50, which is what the doctor told me, you know, he, it was like super scary. I was like, man, I have to choose something different. Um, and at the time I was taking a public speaking course. I didn't love public speaking at first. I still remember my first speech in that class. I got to the front of the class and I blacked out because I don't remember what I said, which is like the worst feeling because, you know, I didn't even know if I completed the assignment or not. And my hands were shaking, my, my cheeks and like my face were shaking because I was so nervous. Um, but I ended up getting better at it. And since I had to choose another major and I, I ended up getting stuck at, in community college a whole other year. So I decided might as well get an AA for transfer. I looked at the catalog and they only had four AAs for transfer at my community college. And one of them was communication studies. And the other ones were like bio and math. And I was like, well, that's not gonna fly. So <laughs> communication studies it is. Um, and that is, that's how I ended up finding that major. It was more of, you know, part convenience, part just having to make a new choice for myself and, you know, trying to get out of that funk of not being able to, to follow my, my passion of dancing all the way through. So the undergrad degree, is it a double degree or is it called communication and public relations? That one is just, it was just like an option. So it's not a double degree. It's just a, it's just a bachelor's, but it is a bachelor's in organizational communication and public relations. So oh, right. when, by the time I got to Cal State LA, their communication studies program, it was, you know, like the department was communication studies. And then they had like these four branches you could focus on. And that's the one that I enjoyed the most or seemed most attractive to me at the time. Um, because by the time I transferred to Cal State LA, I only had three semesters left. And oh, wow. so it was, it was pretty fast. Well, yeah, because I ended up getting stuck at <laughs> community yeah. college. So I earned those units, you know? Um, and so I only, I was only at Cal State LA for my bachelor's for three semesters. And I graduated like in December at the end of the fall semester. So I actually didn't walk, didn't do the ceremony for my bachelor's because I graduated in the fall. And, you know, I was all proud. I was like, I'm not going to come back in the summer to walk with people that I don't even know. I'm, you know, I'm done. I got my paper. That's it. And I completely regret not doing that. <laughs> you know, um, I think I did like an honors convocation um, sometime around, like uh, around the time that I was graduating. And that was like the only, at least for my bachelor's, it was like the only ceremony that I had. And I remember going, I got all dressed up and I was like, damn, I should have done my ceremony, but here we are. Like, you know, it was a little too late, but yeah, that was my, that was my bachelor's uh, experience at Cal State LA. What did you, what was your idea after graduating <clears throat> with your bachelor's? Like, did you had a particular career in mind or did you have a couple jobs to kind of get your feet wet to see exactly what you wanted to pursue or possibly pursue? 
Yeah, so I I worked the entire time I was in college, uh, community college. I was either like a nanny or I was front desk at a gym. I had the most random jobs to to mm-hmm. you know pay my way through college because I didn't have help. Um, you know, my parents didn't have money to support my college tuition, uh, so it was on me. And while I was getting my bachelor's degree. I decided that I would just start looking for a job once I graduated. So I graduated in December. I started looking for jobs and I landed a temp job in January. Um, And honestly, it was, I was specifically looking for marketing jobs because that was something that I was interested in or PR because those were the classes that I most enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And this temp job was a temporary uh, assistant job for a marketing department. It was a corporate job. And well, you know, I wasn't going to say no, even if it was temporary. So I did the interview, they hired me. And from day one, you know, I had just gotten my degree. This was my first real marketing job, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. So from day one, I showed up, dressed up. I sat there, I waited for the boss to come in. And I was always going out of my way to help as many people as I could in that department because I wanted to turn that temp job into a permanent full-time job. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I did with that job. I, I, you know, I, I figured I just worked my butt off getting this degree. Now let's put in the work. Mm-hmm. So at what point did you decide that you wanted to go back and, and get your master's and why did you uh, choose to go back to Cal State LA? So I believe I applied for the master's program in March. So just a couple of months after I graduated, graduated from my bachelor's degree. And oh, so you wasted no time, girl. You were ready. No. Yeah. You know what? I thought, you know, and I, I'm so grateful that I had a friend, uh, shout out to Jennifer. <laughs> I had a friend who I met in my bachelor's program and she was, you know, fantastic because we went through the bachelor's program together. We got really close. And I can't even remember who mentioned the master's program first, but I I know I I remember thinking I have to do it now or else I won't do it because Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm going to come back. I just got this job. It's looking real nice. If I keep just working, I'm never going to come back to to academia and I'm definitely not going to get this, this degree. So yeah, I wasted absolutely no time. And I, we agreed, my friend and I agreed to do it together. We applied together and we got in. So we started classes for our master's in August or September, you know? Mm-hmm. So everything happened very, very quickly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I definitely decided that it would be great for me to do because I was hoping that it would mean better jobs or better job opportunities for me, especially now that I was in marketing. Um, so that was really my reasoning behind going after the master's degree. Mm-hmm. And what did you get your master's in? My master's is in communication studies. And one thing that I was able to do in that program was we got to decide what we wanted to kind of specialize in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I decided to do comprehensive exams instead of a thesis. I love writing and I'm, I'm a good writer. I'm comfortable writing. I just, I couldn't decide on a topic that I wanted to write about for that long. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm just that type of person that would rather look at lots of different things and I couldn't commit to the one topic. So I decided to go with comprehensive exams for my master's and I emphasized my studies in strategic communication, you know, so ads, consumer psychology, 
because I really wanted to do, uh, to continue in the marketing industry, even after my master's degree. And that makes sense because in the marketing classes that I was taking, there wasn't a subject where you stay on there for that long. Everything is like, oh, here's consumer behavior. Here's this data. Here's it. So you're constantly just like on to the next, on to the next, on to the next. And then here's it. Here it is in healthcare. Here it is in business. Here it, you know, so you're applying all these marketing strategies to different industries. And so you're constantly jumping around right and then there's obviously there's going to be an industry or something that you really connect with right um so that makes sense that makes sense too because even within my master's degree it's an emphasis an emphasis in marketing but then they were like what kind of marketing there's healthcare marketing there's business marketing Mm -hmm. there's you know this and that and I thought I wanted to do beauty marketing because oh I love makeup and I love lipstick and I love Ulta and I was just I had no idea what I was doing And then my professor was like, well, you already do apartment marketing. Why don't you focus your marketing, you know, papers and your thesis and your assignments to your current job? And it's going to be a lot easier for you. And I was like, dang, I didn't even think of that. I was doing a whole nother thing, girl. Like you think (laughs) like on the hardest thesis paper alive. And then once I, I changed that mindset of applying it to what I'm doing, what I'm doing now, it was a lot it was, it was just easier to yeah. understand the material, right? And relate to the material because I'm working in that industry versus you trying to get into a whole nother industry. And I don't even know if what I'm doing is going to work or not because I'm not applying it in real life scenarios, you know? Exactly. And I think that's how I thought of my, looking back at it now, I think my bachelor's for me was more of a transaction, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it was obviously, a first-generation college student trying to navigate the logistics of higher education and pass my classes and do well for myself and ultimately get the degree. But with my bachelor's, I went from, I changed my my major and then I moved from my community college to Cal State LA. I was only there for three semesters. It was definitely more of, it's, it's more of a commuter school. So I don't even think I had like school pride, you know, I didn't, hang out on campus because I probably had to go to work. You know, I was leaving immediately after classes or, you know, arriving right before classes. So to me, my bachelor's was a transaction. I was just trying to put in the work to get the paper because at that point I was too many years in for me, you know, Um, and I just wanted to finish. With my master's degree, I think because it was a smaller cohort, there was, I believe, 14 of us in the master's program. And most of us were Latinx. Mm. Um, That program, that degree changed the way that I think and the way that I approach life in general and absolutely changed me as a person. Um, Wow. And I think that's, you know, it was all part of the experience. I think it was the fact that it was a small cohort. I think it was you know, allowing myself to have the time to really ponder on the things that I'm learning instead of just being like, okay, I have to remember this and then put it on a test. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm really grateful that I did, that I completed my master's degree. And I really think that that was my college experience or that idea that I had romanticized in my head about college happened or more, more of it happened during my master's degree. So would you say, because I know you said that your your core uh, cohort was um, Latinx, 
So I'm assuming the professors, your colleagues look like you, right? There was a lot of Latinos, but would you say that you felt supported in those spaces or were you still as a group collectively still kind of struggling to what first generations are still um, trying to navigate in higher I think it was difficult. I feel like my bachelor's program or you know, even the three months I did at Cal State LA for my bachelor's were easier. Um, maybe because I was disconnected and, you know, just went in for class and took my test and got my grade. With a master's degree, um, you know, not a lot of my professors looked like me in the sense, like not a lot of them were Latinx. I did have a, mm-hmm. a great mentor, Dr. Ismesa, who's fantastic, um, Latina, brilliant, bright. Uh, and she, you know, she had high standards for all of us. And I'm, I'm, I'm still in contact with her. She's fantastic. Um, but I, I do think that for me, I didn't feel supported in the sense that I, I feel like as, as first generation students and Latino students, Latinx students, we just have a lot of cultural components that can affect us as students. Mm-hmm. Um, while I was getting my master's, I worked full time at that marketing job because it ended up turning from a temp job to a full time job. So that was my nine to five. Um, I had the opportunity to teach public speaking at Cal State LA while I was completing my own grad seminars. So I had probably like, I don't know, close to 60 students every semester. And then I was a student taking three seminars per semester. Um, I don't know how I survived (laughs) the two years of that because you know, I would wake up at five in the morning. I'd be at work by six. I'd leave to school. I'd teach my classes. I'd take my class and I'd be home by like 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was really difficult because I feel like I felt really guilty. I felt guilty completing my degree because I felt selfish. You know what I mean? I felt like if I didn't have to focus on school, maybe I could have a side hustle or I could do better at work. And improve you know everything that I can for my family so I was always struggling with that um it's kind of like imposter syndrome but also I shouldn't be here right now like maybe I could be doing something better for my family earning more money you know um and I think that kind of comes from how I grew up right you want to do things for the community for the family um and so sometimes I did feel like going back to my master's was selfish and like I could have done something different, you know? No, that's true because I think, I mean, oh my God, girl, you gave me chills when you said that you felt guilty, feeling selfish, getting a higher degree because when we're little, especially when you have siblings, you're always like taking care of your little sister, or your brother or whatever it is, right? And you're constantly just helping everyone. And then we put ourselves last. Um, mm-hmm. I'm the middle child girl and I feel the oldest, right? Because my brother did not go to college and he was constantly getting into trouble. And so I felt like I had to be the role model. Um, yeah. But I, I definitely felt that. I mean, I definitely still feel that now, you know, like I should be maybe getting another second job, you know, or I should be doing this or I should be doing that, you know, and not getting another degree and, and losing quality time with my kids because they're mm-hmm. at a less than age, you know? So I definitely feel that. Um, and I felt that too in my master's and I felt it in my bachelor's because I didn't know, or we didn't know anybody that looked like us, um, that went to school that can tell us how to navigate these spaces. Right. So we're doing it by ourselves. And then, and then we're questioning, 
is this how this feels? Like, is this mm-hmm. like, this is legit. I'm supposed to be doing this. Like, but I was the same thing too. I was also working. I didn't attend to any like events really, or I wasn't part of any groups because I had to go to work right after. Um, exactly. And even that was, you know, having constant battles with my job of putting my school first, you know? Um, but I think that is something that a lot of people can identify with, you know, that are still trying to um, identify that, that feeling and giving yourself permission to invest in yourself to go back to school. Um, so with you know. your master's degree, would you say that, that it, did you feel the difference in support from your undergrad to your master's at Cal State? Because I, for example, you know, going to a, a public school and then going to a private school, is very different, right? Um, SF State, it's more, you know, it's public, so there's more students and there's more resources. And in a private school, it's smaller. They have resources too. Uh, but I definitely felt the difference between the two, just even as a student, right? The, the attention and um, mm. the, the commitment from certain professors and so forth. But you went back, you know, to the same school. So yeah. um, can you talk a little bit about your experience at Cal State as, you know, now that you're in your master's? Like, were your expect did you have high expectations or were you like whoa this is completely different from the first time I came here I think I thought it was going to be very similar mm-hmm. and it turns out I don't even think I had the majority of the professors that I took in the bachelor's were not my professors in my master's program mm-hmm. um, so there were a lot of firsts you know first time with this professor I think in my bachelor's I had never gone to like a professor's office hours because I was probably running off to go to work or I didn't even think that that would help. Like, what am I going to go talk to them about? You know, I don't have questions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so, and during my master's program, I really learned about office hours. Office hours were like the thing, you know, like I could chat with a professor and, you know, get my questions answered. I didn't feel, it didn't feel weird anymore. And then mm-hmm. learning how to navigate those spaces in that way, I kind of thought back, my bachelor's could have been easier or, you know, there was, mm-hmm. maybe there were certain situations that I could have um, helped or avoided even if I was, if I understood the system a little bit more, but Cal State LA for me, I decided to go there for my master's because it was affordable, to be honest with you. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't want to leave school with lots of debt and I had already been there for my bachelor's. It was a good school. And I had connections, right? Because like I told you, I applied to the master's program with a friend. So it didn't feel like something super new. And I, I think I expected it to be similar to my bachelor's program, but I was very wrong. <laughs> um, it was just a lot to handle while having everything else going on. And, you know, I think in the sense of like feeling supported or struggling through school, I think another thing that at least I grew up in in my household I feel like because education was always like the thing to do, it was very romanticized, right? Like you need to get your degree to be successful. There's no other way to be successful. When I got to my master's, because I was able to invest more time in my education and actually learning and applying the theories and the concepts I was learning, I feel like I put college first over everything. And that made it incredibly difficult for me to you know, navigate those two years. Um, because, you know, sometimes I get asked, would you do it again? Because I have a very bittersweet feeling towards my master's degree. I love that I did it because like I told you, it changed me. 
and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't change that. Um, but I do think that I would have handled it differently because I feel like school was so important to me. It was so important to get an A. It was so important to do well that everything else was put on the back burner, you know, including my personal life, my health, my, my mental health, uh, my work. And that is something that I absolutely struggled with. And I think looking back at it now, all I can do is like laugh mm -hmm. <laughs> at how serious I took, you know, getting an A or getting into a conference because yes, those are important. And it was great experiences, you know, for me to do, but it wasn't the most important thing going on. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, a, it's an important chapter in your life, but it's not the main chapter. And exactly. I mean, I know friends that were in the same situation as you, where I would just say, hey, let's hang out. Oh, I can't because I have to study. Oh, I can't because I have to do this, you know? And I had to do those things too. But girl, I was quick to be like, oh, it's Friday, girl, I'm going to the club. So I'll hit you up on that group project <laughs> on Sunday. And, um, we'll, and then we'll circle back Monday because it's due Tuesday. Like I'm that person that like yeah. squeeze in what I can, where I can. But because I could, mm -hmm. I didn't have kids. I was single. I was living by myself, you know, with my, my boyfriend, who's not my husband. But um, I would, I, I can definitely understand that because I took, I mean, I, I took higher education very seriously, but I didn't make it my priority in a sense where, um, where I didn't want to not do other things. I felt like I didn't have, I think it was more time than anything. But right. one thing I will say was that I was definitely an advocate on higher education when it came to fighting with my job. <laughs> when my job was like, oh no, you need to come in on Thursday. You need to come there. You know, you can't, you can't leave early to right. go to and that's when I was like well I was hired you you hired me knowing that I was a college student and so I, I know my rights and those are part of the conditions that I accepted this employment and if you're not able to adjust to those conditions or accept those conditions then I'm going to look for another job so that was something that I was quick to to be like peace because I knew that I could because my my boyfriend supported me and I knew that I can get another job right away and I always had my resume right. on standby you know but I know yep. other people don't have that luxury, you know? Um, so I can definitely relate and I can see it and, and hearing it from somebody else, I can now understand why some of my friends were like, I can't do that. I can't go out, you know, because they had something to prove that, you know, education was very important to them. And if that meant, you know, not being a part of certain spaces, you know, yeah. uh, during their undergrad, they were willing to you know, to risk that because, um, again, that's how they chose to invest their time, you know? Uh, yeah. But you don't, like you said, you don't know that until later on when you look back, you know, and now you're like, yeah, I could have done a little bit. I could have been a little bit more flexible. You know, I could have done this. I could have done that. But you don't know that at the time you're making those decisions thinking, no, this is the decision and this is the right decision. And this is the only thing that I need to do, you know? Exactly. Uh, and I think for me, like, I didn't, that didn't cross my mind while I was getting my master's degree. I was, I've always been really good at school, which is also a big reason why I decided to go back and, and get the degree, the master's degree. Um, but I think with my master's degree, it was, I kind of developed an unhealthy relationship with my, with my education. You know, I, I, it was everything to me and I couldn't, 
you know, I just, I couldn't not like do a good job. It's just, I, I can't, I can't, I couldn't even stand the, the idea of not getting an A, you know? Um, and yeah, and looking back at it now, I had so much going on, you know, maybe I shouldn't have kept my full-time job or maybe I could have called in or messaged my professor and be like, I'm taking a sick day and just stay home and relax with my husband. You know, there was a lot that I could have done. And so, you know, if someone were to ask me, would, should I get a master's degree? Absolutely. You should. It's, it's an education for you. That's one thing that no one will ever be able to take away from you mm -hmm. is your education, right? You're doing this for you, but you know, my advice would just be understanding the space that you're in learn how to navigate that space and make it work for you. Because unfortunately, you know, with Casa de Lay, it's a very diverse student body. And like I said, my cohort was, the majority was Latinx, but some students aren't that lucky. And I feel like even when I was in community college, I had to go out of my way to learn about like bond waivers and FAFSA, mm -hmm. because who was I going to ask? Mm -hmm. I didn't have anyone in my family or when I told my mom, like, hey, you know, have you guys done your taxes? Because I want to apply for FAFSA there. You know, that's a whole conversation. That's a whole conversation, girl. But I can't, um, but I can't get any documento. Like, uh, yeah, sorry, because it's, not <laughs> exactly. And then I'm like, I just want to buy my textbooks. Like, you know, mm -hmm. um, all of that stuff is really difficult to navigate. Being a first generation student and then having these high expectations for yourself and like your work ethic and the work mm -hmm. that you can, you know, create or put out it's a lot to handle. So, you know, I just, I always advise my students now because I, I'm, I'm a professor now to learn about all the resources that your campuses have for you. I mean, I have students who don't even know that there was a nurse on campus, you know, that they mm -hmm. can go in and get, you know, a, a scene for a cold or things like that. Now things are different now with COVID, but things like that, you want to know what your, your campuses can offer you, what resources can I take advantage of as a first generation student? Because unfortunately, a lot of us don't have those connections. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people that we can ask, like, what did you do in college? Or what kind of things did you apply for? What scholarship did you get? All that is learning it from from the beginning, right? You don't have anyone to ask. That's so true. Because even right now, even just being on social media, I follow a lot of universities, and I see the the resources and the services that they offer. And I'm like, man, I wish they had that when I was going to school, or that's cool that you guys are having this town hall on, on this and that, and, you know, today's topic and, or what's going on in society, or, hey, let's talk about mental health, you know, it's just like those spaces weren't as accessible to us. Um, mm -hmm. I also didn't know about the nursing, to be honest with you, until one day I was like, oh my God, I don't have insurance because I just started my new job at Home Depot, and I didn't, my insurance didn't kick in, and my friend was like oh you know you pay for a health fee at Foy Hill College you can go see a nurse I was yeah. like what for free and she's like <laughs> you pay for it girl like this is prepaid <laughs> so girl I so ever since then I'm like okay cool and I took advantage of those resources at City College and at SF State um more more so because I was on campus right and I couldn't take time off work to go see a doctor because I didn't give myself the time off to go handle self-care so I was like, okay, exactly. after class, after this class, I'm gonna go see the nurse real quick. And then I'm gonna go and then I'm gonna come back. And I'm, you know what I'm saying? It was just like yeah. those type of on the go type of um, oh, yeah. vibe as a student. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I think, I think that's great advice to give because um, a lot of people do ask me like, you know, other than financially and investing 
um, and getting your master's, these are the topics that not everybody talks about, you know, like, yeah. yes, there are spaces where it's great and it's glorious. And if you're able to take advantage of it, it's going to be amazing. But there are going to be times where you are going to question yourself or you're not going to feel like you fit in or you're going to feel that maybe it's not right for you. And that's also okay. Um, yeah. But like, it's more about listening to yourself and making yourself feel comfortable with the decision that you're making because of you, not because of your parents or because of your spouse or because of your friend. Like make sure that the ultimate decision you're doing it for yourself you know yeah and I think that that's something that you always struggle with as a first generation student and as a Latinx you know student too I think we just have a sense of responsibility to so many people and so many things that we forget sometimes why we started you know you you can forget why you started your degree or you know I, I can't tell you I had a handful of students at Cal State LA that when I was teaching there um who would drop their class like two, three weeks in and they'd come and talk to me and they'd be like, I need to get a job and I can't handle both things and I need to help support my family. So I just can't do college right now, you know? And it makes sense at the time, it makes sense to go where the money's at, but in the long run, your education, your bachelor's, your master's, whatever it is that you get, that's that's gonna open doors for you, right? To be able to improve those, those opportunities that you get for work, hopefully. So it's tough. It's, it's really tough to navigate all of that. Um, not knowing a lot, not feeling comfortable asking for help, which I think is a really big thing. I mean, I felt it during my bachelor's degree. I wasn't going to go to office hours. Like I'm not asking questions in class. They're going to think I'm dumb, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but my master's, I was complete opposite. I was asking questions. I was in the office with my professors. Why not? Why not have your questions answered? Um, and I think I got rid of that that feeling of just, you know, I don't want to ask anybody for help. I can do it myself um, in the master's program because there was just so much going on and the cohort was smaller. So there was more attention on us and all of those factors contributed to me just feeling more comfortable in academia, but it was still a difficult space to navigate uh, for me. And that's funny you say that, I, and, and I know we talked about this, is that in your undergrad, or definitely for me, you're right. I didn't really ask questions. It was more about, here's my opinion. This is what I think, you know, and this is what I have to feel about the topic, right? Because I was in Latino studies, and it was more about, like, the U.S. taking over Central America and South America and, you know, and all that stuff. And so we had a lot of those topics. Um had to check a few people to be honest with you because we were talking yes. about um welfare and you know how supposedly quote unquote only latinos are the ones using the service and i had to be like um excuse me we don't qualify for those services boo boo <laughs> so it's not latinos that are using it you know and get your data straight and what's the percentage i felt like if i were to like if I were to just, you know, give you an example of how I felt when I heard that comment, it was like when Cardi B is like yelling at a reunion and she's like, tell me the reason, give uh -huh. me the reason, like, like that, like, give me the reason, give me the facts, what are the facts, you know, and I, I was exactly. so grateful, you know, and then I get into my master's and then I remember one of my professors telling me like, this is not about your opinion, this is evidence-based data this is this, this is that. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm getting checked. Okay. All right. And I stayed quiet. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, this is a whole new ball game now. 
So when I was talking about housing and the history of rent control in San Francisco, it just so happened that I worked right in, in, in the company who's the godfather of rent control. He was the reason why it exists today, but I was giving my opinion in my paper and my professor gave it back to me and was like, this is not an opinion paper. You know, this is a persuasive essay. You're supposed to persuade the reader on, you know, whatever your message is or your topic is. And maybe during the abstract or maybe here you can write something, but no, the entire paper does not, you know, and I, I felt a certain type of way about that. And now looking back at it, I was like, oh, it made me a stronger writer because it's all about taking the emotion out of the paper, right? And then just stating facts. And if you're able just to state facts and you're able to persuade someone or you're able to come, you know, your message come across without- right being biased or unbiased right so when you say that it just it makes so much sense with everything that we're navigating um with undergrad and your master's degree and how it, it checks us real quick <laughs> so you know again yeah. first generation latino we can adjust and adapt to different types of environments and that's something that i had to learn very quick in my master's yeah program. i think you know when i when i was getting close to graduating with my master's degree because I had just had this experience of getting my bachelor's degree and getting a job very quickly, I assumed this master's degree is going to be great. I'm going to be able to skip some years when it comes to the marketing industry, maybe get a manager job and, you know, increase my pay because that was the point, you know, but mm -hmm. I quickly found out <laughs> that mm -hmm. wasn't the case. You know, I think it was a uh, January I started looking for jobs because I was going to graduate in May. I started applying. I got calls. I got phone interviews and they would tell me something like, well, this sounds great. We're currently offering $15 an hour. And I was like, what? I'm making more than that right now. You know, it didn't make mm -hmm. sense to me. Mm -hmm. And then I started second guessing. Wow. I did this master's degree and now I can't even find a job that will pay me more. Like nothing's working out the way that I wanted mm -hmm. it to. And it was really frustrating and heartbreaking because again, I felt that guilt, right? I felt like I could have been doing something else or maybe just working a lot harder and I could have ended up where I wanted to be without this degree. Um, and so I decided that when I graduated, I would just start my own little marketing agency because I wasn't finding the opportunities that I wanted to in the market. And I thought I have theories. I understand consumer psychology. I can apply what I'm learning and actually put my degree to use if I go off on my own and do this agency thing and help small businesses, because I basically have been doing it in, you know, my corporate job for the past two years. I can apply it. I can do it by myself. Um, and that's, that's how I just jumped into being an entrepreneur. I think even in that sense, I was very naive. I thought that it would be easy because I know, you know, theories and I have experience. I can do it by myself. Mm -hmm. It took me, okay, I graduated in May. I think I signed my first client in like December. So yeah, I got checked real quick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was, um, it was a oh, lot harder than like I this. thought. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know what? I guess no one cares that I have a master's degree. Uh, you know, it's, it was just really frustrating. You know, mm -hmm. you think I'm going to graduate. I'm going to feel great. I'm going to get a great job and be making money. And that was not the case. 
Um, and even going off on my own and doing this, working for myself was a lot harder than I thought it would be. But I, I was able to apply my degree and use my degree because it did inform the way that I would pitch to clients or the way that I would create packages for them based on their needs, things like that. Um, it, you know, it just, it didn't turn out how I thought it would. And I had to adapt and change my plan. And that was fine. You know, mm -hmm. that was it. I have to move on, move forward. Oh my God, bro. I feel like we have like the almost the exact same story. Like, <laughs> and, and I use this with my other friend because she's from LA too. And it's like from the Bay to LA, literally like from the Bay to LA, we have yes. the exact same story because <laughs> I was doing the same thing. I was like, hold on a second. I, yes, I get paid to do marketing nine to five, but I can also do marketing after my nine to five. Like they, your job can't stop you from making other forms of income. Right. And so I started telling people like, Hey, I have a marketing business. I have a marketing, I have a marketing, I have a marketing business. Right. And then people wanted to create their side hustles and they would hit me up. And so I was like, Oh, I can start charging for this. I have a master's now. Well, you're right, girl. People don't care that you have a master's. Like, at the end of the day, I was trying to be very professional and very like, okay, this is what you do. And they were like, what? I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know. I'm just going to pay you. You just do it. And then after a while, I was like, oh, okay. You know, obviously, because I had a different clientele too. So yeah. I was like, oh, okay. So you just want the bottom line. Okay, cool. So I could do that too. And so you do learn um, customer psychology and consumer behavior, right? Because it's just different. Like every client's different. Every, even their business is different. Right. And so I also had to yeah. like be a consumer in their shoes and be like, would I buy this t-shirt? Am I going to buy these pair of earrings? I don't know. It depends on how you market it to me. Depends on what it says. It depends if it's real gold or not. Like there's like a million reasons why we decide to, to buy, you know? And yep. so I had to be in the consumer shoes for my clients and at the end of the day, that was our bottom line. At the end of the day, I just want sales, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm paying you to do it and that's it, you know? And I think yeah. only a few people ask me like, oh, tell me about yourself, you know, like tell me about your um, work history. Or I think only two people asked me about my degree. Everybody else didn't even care. I could have said I had a marketing degree. They weren't verifying it. They were just like, exactly. oh, okay, great. So how much do you charge to do my social media? And I was like, oh, okay. So we're talking numbers now. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's <laughs> so, jump yeah, right so in. Yeah, they jump right yeah. in, girl. Believe me. So I've learned to mirror sometimes your your clients' behavior, you know. Yes. Um, and that's something that I learned through my job too, through sales. It's just like not everybody wants to fluff and buff. Some people just want straight to the point. If they ask hella questions, answer hella questions. If they are not asking you questions, don't keep feeding them shit, you know. So exactly again, those things that I just had to kind of like learn as you go, right? Exactly. Um, give them the answer that they need, but you don't have to like give them more than that. And I, it, I just, it's funny that you say that. I think, um, cause you mentioned that you were trying to be all like professional and fit a certain mold, mm -hmm. of whatever professionalism is. Right. I feel like my master's degree kind of did the opposite for me in the sense that I think my bachelor's degree, I was more like, I'm a good student. And I don't ask questions and I'm in and out. The professors know me because I do good work and that's it. But my master's, because I think my eyes were open to so much to, you know, the inequality of higher education, to the mm. fact that there are spaces to navigate, I think I understood myself more. You know what I mean? I think mm -hmm. I understood that when I go to my corporate job, there's a reason why I don't feel comfortable 
saying things in Spanish because I'm the only Latina in the department or, you know, I can't be quote unquote loud or, you know, be fun. And, or even when I would do presentations for like the, the executives, I would, you know, later on, I was like cognizant, man, there's a certain way I have to walk into this room to be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. I have to make sure that I feel comfortable in what I'm wearing and I have to practice my presentation. I have to be 110% all the time. Mm -hmm. And that, I, I feel like I really learned that in my master's degree because it opened my eyes to so many things I feel I was oblivious to. Mm -hmm. um, and ignorance is bliss, right? Let me tell you, because I feel like after learning specific theories, I feel like I was always questioning things. I would see an ad, I'd be like, why did they do that? They're trying to get like this niche and like uh, mm -hmm. market mm -hmm. and it's not working, boo. It's backfiring on you like real hard. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh yeah, girl. Um, don't have me sit at Super Bowl Sunday, girl, because I will analyze every advertising commercial that comes exactly. on. Like, why did they pick that guy? He's so like, I totally don't even connect with the guy. Like they messed up on the guy already. Like I'm tripping exactly. off, Exactly. you know? So yeah. So I feel like my master's degree made me just understand myself and understand my place in certain spaces mm. and really allowed me to navigate those spaces to, you know, play the game. Right. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. but I, I was always kind of angry or frustrated that I had to watch what I said or, or think about how I said things when I was at work, you know, in my nine to five, because it was a corporate environment. It was very professional. And I felt like I wasn't me. I was just this kind of washed version of Paulina. And then at school, mm -hmm. I was a little more loose because I knew the people, it was a small cohort. We could talk about issues. I had one media teacher who we like, we analyzed like Cardi B's music video, you know, like things like mm -hmm. that, which were fun. But I think it kind of changed me in that way. I feel like my bachelor's, I was more just professional. I'm just going to get what I need from my professors and that's it. And my master's degree, I really started to get to know about all these systems that we're interacting in consistently, right? Whether mm -hmm. it's at work, at school, even our, our home life, mm -hmm. um, that it made me very aware of who I am and who I want to be in those spaces, I guess is what I meant to say. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. Mine was complete opposite, girl. Mine was like, I was at work and people <laughs> didn't look like me. I went to school and they didn't look like me. And I was just like, damn, am I ghetto? Like, am I ratchet? Do they see me like this? Like, you know, exactly. but after a while, I didn't care. Like, I knew that I was code switching to a certain extent. Yes. But one thing I always had was my voice. So even though, yes, I'm coming into work and I have the 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 set earrings on and maybe my hair's a little bit more tamed and I'm wearing this business suit you're gonna get checked where you need to get checked you know and that's something that I've always mm -hmm. but I've learned obviously how to co-switch and like tone it down a little bit not so much Cardi B style but <laughs> uh, <laughs> evidence-based data you guys um yeah exactly. to have a conversation yeah so um but yeah but that you know that that that's in, that's good to hear that as you were that there was a transition in the way that you your um, higher education experience was right from yeah undergrad to master's yeah and I think that because I understood myself more and mm -hmm. what I was trying to do you know by opening up the, my own business um, when I would go in to see possible clients I was just more aware of myself. Mm -hmm. And even then, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about this before, but 
the marketing agency was a tough thing to do. I still have it. I still have great clients. Um, but I like, I don't know, maybe last year or a couple months after I started, I would go see potential clients and they'd be like, you know what? Well, Grubhub just called and they told me that they can give me a website and all of my social media content oh for 200 God. bucks. <laughs> so, you know, and then I'm sitting there maybe I offer them a, a package that starts at like 500. What am I supposed to say to that? Like, okay, well, it makes sense. You're a small business owner, go with Grubhub. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and so I, I started seeing this happen or there was just lots of people who were on YouTube and they figured out how to do it. And now they were charging like a hundred bucks for everything. And I slowly started seeing that this was going to have to change again. I was mm-hmm. going to have to change my career okay. path again. Um, which is why I, you know, I, I started, once I graduated, I started applying to teach and I'm a college professor right now. I teach at two different colleges here in my area. Um, I ended up moving to Northern California. So I teach at uh, Sac City College and at Sierra Community College right now. But that was because, you know, the agency stuff wasn't panning out for me anymore. I needed to be able to contribute um, for my family, right? We all have needs. Mm-hmm. And then after getting some more classes, then I ended up doing the Eres Una Maravilla, which I just started last year. And that was really more because, you know, we all have had to adapt to the pandemic. Um, My husband, thankfully, has been able to work from home. We had time on our hands. And I was like, you know what? I can make things. I'm good at making things. I've always made things. I'm going to just start this little Etsy store. And if I get an order, then great. And if I didn't, or if I don't, then at least I tried and I can't say that I didn't try, right? Mm-hmm. And that, you know, the same thing that happened because I was just teaching and the agency wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And it was all about adapting. So I, I feel like even now I'm comfortable with the possibility of changing. It's not something that is scary anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm more willing to dive in or to learn about new things because it's okay, you know, it's okay to, to, for things to work out and for you to adapt to what's coming. I love that girl. I feel like COVID made all of us, um, medical advisors made us <laughs> healthcare <laughs> consultants. I don't know what you want to call it. Like we're yes. definitely like, but no, but that's good because to be honest with you, I did have the marketing business myself too. And I have other projects as well, but I don't think I would have the guts to do it if COVID didn't happen because we weren't forced to quarantine and stay at home and now find different avenues of income, right? It's like we depended on our nine to five or we had our nine to five define us as professionals. And we felt like even sometimes when I first started my job, I didn't really tell them about the marketing business. And I used to help some private landlords, but I used to not tell them that because I felt like, oh, what if it's a conflict of interest? Because I work in real estate as well. So I'm helping business owners, I would tell them, right? But I would legit help business owners. Not like I was lying. I just wouldn't tell them everything, right? Um, But now it's like, I'm, I'm open. I can have this conversation with my boss and say like, I have fail of marketing. I have Latinas with masters. I am a doctor degree. I am a mother. I'm this, I'm that. I'm navigating all these millions of spaces. And they're like, great, how can we support you? You know? And before it's like, I was so scared to have these conversations with my employer because they, they 
put us in this box of like, no, you can only do this. You can't do anything else. And I, and I thought of that for a long time. And I saw my parents do that as well. Like they would come to work and then they would come home and then they're the parent and then they go back to work and then they come back home. You know what I'm saying? It was like A or B, A yeah. or B. Um, and so I, I really feel that COVID definitely gave us the opportunity to venture out, to give us, per, give ourselves permission, you know, to do the things that we love creatively, um, network with other people. Um, yeah. And so tell us more about um, Eres Una Maravilla because I love everything about it. And I know we talked about it, but I definitely want you to share a little bit more about what that's, what, what that's uh, about. And then also, I know that you also um, provide some research, um, you know, yeah. to, to a nonprofit or to actually a very good social cause. So I definitely don't want to miss the opportunity of, of talking about that as well. Yeah, so Eres Una Maravilla, I literally put up an Etsy store last year. Man, I think I want to say like October. I I would go on Etsy and I would see like people would just sell like digital prints of stuff. Like they would just create a digital print and it was like download the digital print. It's five bucks, you make your own copies. Easy peasy, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I thought I make graphics all the time for my clients. Let me just put together a couple cute graphics that are like in Spanish or Latinx themed and whatever. I'll put them for five bucks. If I start getting sales, then maybe I'll just make more. Um, and that's literally what I started with. I just started with graphics that people could download. And I think I got a handful of, of people that bought them. They were like $5. They're still on there on, on, the, on the shop. But Girl, I, I probably always, bought some stuff too because I don't like doing like graphic stuff because I feel like that's the part where I'm kind of like, oh, but when I see it, I'm like, yes, somebody, there's somebody out cute. there that wa that loves this. I would absolutely pay you for it. Like, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I've always been a person who I've never bought like birthday cards. I always make them. I always try to make mm. gifts. Um, I love doing that. And I'm, I'm just, I'm really creative and I love working with my hands. So as I was selling these like digital uh, prints, mm -hmm. I thought I want to start doing something with hoop earrings. And at the time I, you know, I was, I'm still am super into bad bunny, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a hoop that says mommy, because I see all these like mom hoops. And I'm like, well, what if you're Latina and you want to be called mommy, not mom. Yeah. So I started with, with mommy. I started learning. I taught myself how to wire. Um, so oh, I make the letters ones where they make the letters. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I hand, I hand wire everything. I started with mommy and I got like a sale and I was so excited. <laughs> and then I started challenging myself. So I, I started doing a hoop earring that said, yo hago lo que me de la gana, but just the acronym. Mm -hmm. um, and that started getting more traction on, on Etsy. And then I, I, you know, isn't that Bad Bunny's thing? Isn't that his? Yes, favorite? that's his album. Dude, yeah, you just solved the mystery because I swear the other day when he was at the Grammys and and I'm like, what is that? Like, is that what does that mean? I'm like, did I miss something? I listened to his music, but damn, I must have missed it. And right now that I'm writing it down, I'm like, oh, oh. okay, Bad Bunny, I see you. Like little hidden messages. <laughs> yeah, so you know, it started going well I would get these a 
couple orders a week and I get so excited. I'd make them, I, I, you know, I hand wired them, I would attach them, I package them. And I loved that feeling. Um, and I started talking to my husband and I said, you know, I want to make something where I can donate because I would love, like, if I'm, if I'm someone that's on Etsy, I want to give back with my purchase. Um, and, you know, we talk about having more time talking, talking about like having more time to think and to, to maybe realize what you can provide or what you can give back to the community, right? And so I decided to um, start with an earring that said, fuck ice. Mm-hmm. And I would donate $10 of every purchase of those hoop earrings. And things were going well, you know, slow and steady. And then I had someone on Instagram purchase them and she happens to be someone that's an activist. and. In the San Jose area, she has a nonprofit herself and she purchased, she posted them on her page and it blew up. It was wow. New Year's Eve. I was, I was like laying down and uh, we were watching something and my phone kept dinging and I started freaking out because I was, I have no idea what's happening right now. I looked on Instagram and I realized she posted me and things just kind of got real from that point. And so now um, I've made some other hoops, like let's say abolish ice, or I have some that are, let's say like, uh, inhale, exhale or dreamer. And part of the proceeds for, from all of those earrings go to different nonprofits that, um, help with mental health that benefit the Latinx community. And it's something that I really enjoy doing. I am looking through her Instagram as she's talking to you guys, and they are straight fucking fire like yes i'm already like <laughs> can you make a latinas with masters because when you're like i did yo, I go to, da, 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 i'm like okay cool so latinas with masters is not that long. <laughs> we can do the appreciation it's cool but oh my god like that is so cool i mean hoops red lipstick scrunchies girl you got me like exactly. i'm already already like in love with everything that you represent with that and that's so I mean, that's so cool that you do that because it's like, and you know this, like in your class, when, when we talked about this, it's like, there's companies that yes, they have a marketing business or they have a product, but it's like a social good product, right? It's like social entrepreneur or something like that, they call it. And, you know, you can still have a business, still be creative and still give back to the community. And I feel that a lot of people like to separate business entrepreneurs of just making money, but like, come on, you guys, Beyonce makes hella money and still hella donates hella money, you know, like you can be a philanthropist and still be a businesswoman, you know, and I feel that exactly as Latinas, they want to categorize us in this, you know, in, in traditional roles of what Latinas could be. I mean, I had a, I had a counselor tell me that I should, when I was questioning college, that I should get into the medical field because Latinas are great as medical assistants or as nurses. And I was like, mm. I can't even see blood and I faint. So you're going to tell, like, you didn't even know me. Exactly. You just categorized me into that. But what I want to say is that I, I just love everything about it. And I, I'm, I'm so happy that in, in a time where it's so critical right now and it's so sensitive, you were able to turn that around and be like, Fuck ice. I'm going to do this. And this is what yes. it is. Right? And exactly. I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. So tell us about um, the, the research project that we talked about that you also assist with. 
Yeah, so part of having more time this year meant that I was able to join an incredible research lab. It's called the Intimate Communication Lab, and it's led by two amazing women who are doctors, uh, Dr. Angela Cook-Jackson and Dr. Valerie Rubinsky. And so this communication lab or research lab really focuses on topics of sexual health, and they... Um, they gave me the opportunity to be a research associate and we have this Latinx tri-generational study that we just started. So we are currently recruiting, looking for families that identify Latinx to help us out with the study to participate. So this is a fantastic study. It is really focused on the sexual health communication that we have experienced and just getting to know what those stories and those experiences are. This, this project is really important to me because I feel like a lot of research doesn't necessarily include uh, Latinx voices, right? We always wanna know more about our community. How can we improve conversations that happen at home? And this study is, is exactly, you know, it's, it's doing exactly that. We want to learn about the communication that you heard about sexual health, pregnancy, your menstruation, um, and what your experiences were as families. So we're currently looking for families. Tri-generational just means that we have three different generations we can uh, interview in a group. So you get $10 to participate in a group interview with two other people from your family, two other um, uh, people that identify as women specifically. And then you get another $10 to participate in an individual follow-up interview. So you get 20 bucks participating in this study and like I said um, we're currently recruiting trying to find families that are that'll be open to having these conversations the questions aren't like you know how many people have you had sex with obviously that is none of our business yeah it, they're all centered around um, one thing that we talk about a lot is memorable messages which is you know those messages that get stuck that you've heard from people, from people that are important to you, or maybe even messages that you didn't hear that have influenced your decision-making when it when specific to like sexual health. So for me, um, like a memorable message that I have is my mom, my mom and my dad didn't give us like the sex talk, right? They didn't sit us down. They were like, these are condoms. This is what safe sex is. You know, this is uh, your menstruation. This is your ovulation. Those words never came out of my parents' mouths, right? I'm already looking at you like, um, I did not have this conversation. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. I but got the Rafla version. <laughs> exactly. So that's what I got. So my, my memorable message is my mom told me, like her sex talk with me was, I'm going to know when you had sex because your hips are going to double in size. So <laughs> you won't be able to hide that from me. And, you know, I, I can't even remember how old I was. Maybe I was like 13 and I was like, oh my God, are like, are my hips going to explode like the day after I have sex? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> and so those, that's, that's, that's a memorable message or an example of a memorable message. And those are the kind of experiences that we want to hear about, mm -hmm. right? How can we take this research, learn about these conversations that are happening in Latinx homes and possibly create curriculum that is more inclusive or create resources to help people that are trying to have these conversations currently at home. Were you spying on me, girl? Cause I legit had this conversation. <laughs> with my, daughter. my daughter's eight years old and I bought her this book. It's American Girl. 
and it talks about puberty, right? But in stages and in, in, in ages and so forth, right? And it's, you know, illustration and little paragraphs here and there, right? It's not like a whole essay of a book, um, but it's cute and it's something that's relatable. And so again, in having these, in, in you um, talking about memorable messages, I quickly started thinking about like, okay, I got to have this conversation with my daughter and one, not have her have these conversation with her friends, which is what I did. And two- right not have the rafla conversation from her mom of the you know the brutal version of having a menstrual cycle which was super frightening and I was like oh my god I don't even want to have a menstrual cycle if I have an option but you don't which I didn't know that you know (laughs) and so my memorable message was I'm going to know that you're having sex because you're going to get pregnant because you know you'll be a lady now and now you can have you know, you'll be able to ovulate and stuff like that. Did not use the word ovulation, you guys. Think like <laughs> B version, vulgar. Uh, but honestly, like not in that sense. But you know, but really it's just like, and then I think about the conversation that she had with my grandma who had her first child at 15. And then my great grandma who also had her first child at 15. And not to make it a negative thing, but like legit the day of my quince, you guys, like I remember I was opening my presents up in my, you know, in my living room after my party. And my grandma was like, oh, let's not hope, you know, you don't um, get pregnant at 15. And I literally flashed on her. And I was like, why would you say this during my quince? And then I realized that there's a lot of trauma behind her being 15 and not having a quinceanera because she got pregnant. And then her mom mm. having trauma because she was 15, you know what I'm saying? So it was almost like, yeah, being 15 at that pivotal moment was just like, I get the message that she was trying to say. It was like that love hate, like, you know, so then it's almost like reverse psychology of like, I'm gonna prove you wrong. I'm not gonna be pregnant at 15. So what do you say about that? You know, but it was just like, she was doing me a favor, you know, instead of being like loosey goosey and yeah, anda con tu amiga, salo tu cara. She's just like, no, you're not gonna go do that. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, it just sucks that it was my my quince, you know? Um, But- the crazy thing about that too is that at one point my parents were divorced and uh, my mom was living in Miami at a job and I got my period when I was living with my dad. And when I lived in San Jose and Cupertino, you know, it was very hot weather and I get a lot of nosebleeds because um, I, you know, coming from San Francisco to San Jose, it's like the climate is like completely different. So I would get a yeah. lot of nosebleeds. And so I remember going to my dad and was like, um, I'm bleeding like that. And then he's like, it's okay. Just cover up your nose and put your head up. And then, you know, but he's not even looking at me. He's like watching TV. And then I was like, yeah, not there. Um, the, you know, in my private part. And he was like, yo no sé, yo no sé, yo tu mama, right? So I call my mom and then my mom's like, go, you know, tell your dad to give you $20, go to Long's Drugs, go get the pads that, you know, that you, that you saw me buy. Now I'm like, I'm going by memory here. Like, what the heck? So then my dad yeah. took me and I went by myself to go look for um, pads. And I just remember seeing a guy from school and I'm like, oh my God, what are the odds that like out of all the aisles, it's full of down in this aisle. So <laughs> I had to grab like pads and paper towels at the same time. And I was like, whatever. And I just kept on walking. He's like, hey, Christina. I'm like, hey, what's up, Mark? And I just kept on walking like, it is what it is you know but yeah I mean 
thinking about those memorable messages, man, you know, like I was 13 when I got my period and I didn't have my mom around me, right? Because of the circumstances that I was in. Um, but I also didn't really have the talk about it. It was just like, oh, yeah. oh my God, like panic mode. Like, oh my God, oh my God, it's happening, it's happening. What, what's gonna happen to my body? And so my daughter told me the other day, like, um, I don't, I don't wanna have my period. If I cannot have it, that would be okay. And I was like, yeah, Giselle, you don't have an option. Like, <laughs> that I know what awesome. you mean. I know yeah. what you mean. Or I still, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to not have it at 36. Okay. So believe me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, it's like having those conversations with my daughter. And so she was watching um, Babysitter's Club, the newer version on Netflix. And there was an episode where the little girl got her period. And so my daughter got to see, you know, just from uh, a different, you know, like a different perspective. And so now she's like, oh, okay, I get it. Obviously that was dramatic because it was TV. But I also had to tell her, like, it doesn't happen like that, you know, like having these conversations. And so um, one, I should have sat down and watched that one. The one episode I didn't watch with her was the one where Christy gets her period. Like, come on, Christy, get it together um, <laughs> at a wedding, too. Right. It's like the worst moment ever. <laughs> um, but I love the message that you're having, because, I mean, just look at me right now. I have like five million messages that are embedded in my brain. And all I can think about is like, oh my God, I don't want to have the same reaction or the same message or the same, you know, uh, passing down to my daughter. Like I definitely do want to change the conversation and I'm changing the conversation, winging it because I didn't have this experience. I can't say like, oh yeah, let me see what my mom told me. It's just like, let me tell you what my mom didn't tell me. You know what I'm saying? Like, let me exactly. So I love that you're building curriculum and resources and um, making the conversation normal for this new generation that's coming. So hopefully my daughter growing up, when she's talking to her kids, she can say, you know, I remember my mom bought me this book. I remember I watched this movie, but then she explained this to me. I remember that she showed me what, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm already doing, and again, it's not to fault my my mom or my grandma or anybody it's just unfortunately the circumstances that they were in that's how they were taught and so you, you don't know what you don't know right and so that unfortunately was their way of a us not getting pregnant <laughs> early uh, but two it's like they knew that they only knew the you know the like not to sugarcoat it like we're not going to sugarcoat it this is what it is when you get your period, so yeah. don't fuck up. You know, and I felt like that was the message that I got. Yeah, exactly. And I think all of the stories that you just that, that you just said are why we're doing this research mm-hmm. because these are really important stories and we have a space to recognize and acknowledge all of these experiences um, because it's important. They're, they're very important conversations. I'm like you, like my mom didn't even tell me about my period. So I, remember, I still remember the day that I got my period. Um, I was so scared. I thought I was going to die. I didn't understand what was happening to me. And I told her, I came up to her in tears and I told her like, I'm bleeding. And she didn't say a thing. She quietly walked into the bathroom. She grabbed the pad from under the sink. She handed it to me. She showed me how to put it on my underwear. And that was it. You know, like there was no conversation. And then it's funny that you mentioned how maybe we're told all these things like, oh, don't have sex. You're going to get pregnant immediately to avoid us getting pregnant. 
But then, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this recently. It's like, if you would have sat down with me and explained to me like safe sex and condoms, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be scared of like having sex and thinking, oh my God, I'm going to get pregnant immediately after I have sex. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? All Mm -hmm. those things Mm -hmm. really affect how you, you know, navigate relationships, how you think about yourself and sexual health, right? Um, and that's really why we're, we're, we want to do this research and talk to as many Latinx families as we can about these topics. So if it's something that anyone who's listening is interested in, we're happy to, to make those uh, appointments for those interviews and have you participate because it's absolutely important work um, for our community. Mm-hmm. And how can they reach out to you if they are interested in participating um, in the research or in the interview? Yeah, so we have an Instagram page for the Intimate Com Lab. Um, it's at the Intimate Com Lab, I believe. Let me double check while I have my screen up. Um, or you can follow me at edis.una.maravilla. And I know that Christina will tag me on the post yes. and stuff. So <laughs> if you want to just follow me, you can ask me questions and follow up with me. Uh, before you decide to participate, but we are looking for those three family members um, to hopefully that are uh, in three different generations. So it can be abuela, mommy, and daughter, or uh, mommy and tia and daughter, as long as it's three different generations, that totally works for us. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, I will definitely tag you on it. Okay, it is at Intimate Com Lab. That's the handle for our IG. Okay. But yeah, we're, we're super excited and yeah, we want to have all these conversations and learn about experiences. And like I said, those questions aren't about like sexual partners. It's just about providing the space to have these conversations that, you know, maybe you haven't had or haven't had the opportunity to ask your mom or understand, like you said, why your mom didn't say anything. It was probably mm-hmm. like my mom, she, when I, I tried, I, I'm still trying to get her to do this interview with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like I understand, right. I think our communities are sometimes very skeptical about research and participating in research. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, ¿Por qué quieren saber de eso? like, I was never told anything. So what am I going to answer that I, that I was never told anything? I was like, yeah, there's no wrong answer. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. all about what you experience. And that's the first time I realized that she didn't have those conversations. My grandma didn't tell her about any of that. So how am I to expect that my mom was going to be like, okay, this is how ovulation works, this is your menstruation, this is your cycle, mm-hmm. you know, all that, uh, you know, it really cleared up how, how I looked back at those memories, uh, understanding mm-hmm. then that my mom didn't have them. So we're hoping to create these safe spaces for families to understand each other and hopefully to be able to create resources to improve these conversations at home. You know, what's funny that you just said that right now was that I think you're in, I think it's sixth grade. It could be fifth for some, but sixth grade, you have like sexual orientation where it's like a video. They separate the guys and the girls, right? And you put you in the room. And I remember at first my, my dad was hesitant from signing the permission slip because he was like, oh, you know, of course you see sexual orientation. They're going to teach you how to make sex and all that stuff right and I was like no it's not they're gonna talk about like our periods and this and that which I at that age I already had right in sixth grade and then I was like okay fine you tell me then you tell me how it is I don't know and then he was just like er, dame el papel, lo voy a firmar. and I'm like okay thank you <laughs> well that was easy you know and it's and certain things were a little bit easier because it was like I lived with my dad and he has a young lady so I I, I think he was just trying to be protective and not have me exposed to too much information. 
but then when I put it back on his shoes he was like you know what you're right uh I'm not gonna talk about it so this have them teach you you know exactly um, and then even growing up it was just like oh when you get pregnant you know you're gonna have to move out like that's how my mom was and then my dad was more like no don't say that of course we're not gonna kick you out you know what I'm saying so it was just like this love hate relationship like who's who's on my side and who's not on my side it was very confusing but again it goes back to you know my dad didn't have me till I was 30 you know granted he was single and I'm sure he had you know he had a great time being single but he became a father at 30 you know versus my mom you know she got married at 17 had my brother at 19 you know lost a child due to pneumonia you know so it was like a lot of trauma behind pregnancy and you know children and so again like listening to what my grandma said and what my mom said it was like let me tell you all these bad things that can happen to uh avoid you getting pregnant and that was their way of showing that they're protecting me but like you said it's like there's different ways that we can communicate and and have this conversation collectively where it doesn't sound scary and like I'm gonna die you know what I'm saying like so yeah uh, and I think just my my daughter asked me that like am I gonna die if I'm bleeding like no you're not and she's like oh okay I don't know that and I was like Mm -hmm. no Giselle you're not gonna die you know but again I can only imagine eight years old like you're telling me what's gonna happen to me versus I didn't have this conversation and maybe months before actually I got my period so it was just like oh yeah by the way you're gonna be around the age where you're gonna get your period wait what like I I saw obviously my aunt everybody have periods but I'm not like in the bathroom with them like observing obviously so I was kind of like oh okay and then months later it happened like in the summertime you know so this is one of those things where I was just like whoa versus I already know I'm changing the conversation because my daughter's eight you know and I'm kind of like okay so it happens early which it could happen or it can happen later but at least I have like a, a a head start you know in having this conversation with my daughter so yeah and I think that even as adults um it can really affect like sexual health communication can really affect us even in adulthood I feel like with my well, my mom specifically I just recently started having conversations with her about pregnancy ovulation mm-hmm all those things because my husband and I were trying to have, have a baby. And, you know, I remember calling her when we decided we were going to try. And I told my mom, how long did it take you guys to get pregnant? How long did you try? And she just laughed at me. She's like, what do you mean try? Like, you yeah. know, <laughs> it was like, she was like, I didn't, I didn't, we didn't plan. Like we, we weren't like planning on things. Yeah, we weren't yeah. trying quote unquote. I was just late one month. And then I knew I was pregnant. I was like, mm-hmm. okay. You know, so it wasn't to me. I didn't consider it helpful, right? Because I was trying to see if I was somehow affected by how long it took them, right? Maybe it would be the same for us or whatever. Um, and now I, I I jumped into those conversations with her because I wanted the information and it definitely made us closer because I feel like we, we've had those conversations now and we I feel closer to my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, but none of that happened when I was young. I didn't, you know, I didn't even fully understand ovulation. And now I realize like when you're trying how hard it can be to get pregnant. And then my mom's over here telling me, once you have sex, you're gonna get pregnant. So don't have sex. You know yes. what I mean? So it's just, you know, those uh, really I've been important for conversations. A minute, mom, and it's not happening. So I don't know how your theory <laughs> yeah. 
I want evidence-based data to show me that I'm going to get exactly. pregnant after. Yeah. Cite your work, mom. Yeah, where, cite, where um, did you get me, who, who is this? Qual doctor dijo? Like, oh my God, that's another <laughs> thing. Like, yeah, you know, and that's so funny. I definitely use, I mean, I definitely took advantage of my OBGYN. And I say take advantage really just because I can't, I couldn't have these conversations with my mom. Like I remember asking my doctor that before I got pregnant was, how do I know if I can have kids? Like I've been on depo, I've been on, you know, birth control, but like, how, how do I really know? And she was like, oh, you're going to know. She's like, you just start, you just try, you know, like, but she said it like, in obviously in a genuine way, it wasn't like that, but I was just like, oh, oh, okay. Like I didn't know. I, I didn't know if I was supposed to like tell my body something or like feel a certain way or, you know, but it's those things like, start taking your pre-vitamins, obviously weave up birth, you know, obviously there's a medical history behind what you can do, but it's not to say or guarantee that it's going to happen that way. You know, in my situation, it happened that way. Like I was off it and two months later, girl, I was pregnant. Um, <laughs> day before I walked on stage at SF State and like a month before my wedding. So yeah, I was like, oh, okay. So it might, it's going to take time, but my body didn't, you know, was like, no, you're going to get, we're doing it now. You, can, you, you know, <laughs> you know, but again, I love everything that you are, um, everything that you're creating. You're, I love it because you're creating your own space. You're navigating your own lane. You're not asking permission to anyone, you know, fuck eyes, like, you're just like, you know, <laughs> and whoever's willing to be on the same boat ride as me, there's room for everybody to be on there. And that's what I love about it. That it's very chingona like, but it's also very empowering, you know. And I have this, you know, this the slogan, this tagline that I use is to inspire, empower, and educate because you legit are doing that in three all the three phases, right? Of inspiring, you know, your 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 academic journey and everything that you shared with us is very inspiring, right? It's not a one book fits all. It's like, hey, this is my this is my story, and if the information that I can provide you can help you, you know, with whatever you're going on through your life, then, you know, I'm here for you. And then you're empowering us with these badass earrings that I'm like legit going to ask you to custom make for me, <laughs> um, you know, and just creating the messages and, you know, like, again, empowering women just to be themselves. And then you are definitely educating us, girl, like that the education piece is like the biggest thing right now. And especially in our culture, there's a stigma with mental health, with sexual education, with all these other areas that I feel that this generation is just like, fuck that. Like, it doesn't have to be like that. And that's why I always say, like, just because it was hard for me, it doesn't mean that it has to be hard for everybody else. And I say that in every avenues of life, like I'm an open book. You can ask me anything. I mean, literally anything you guys can ask me and I'm going to tell you you know, the truth. And then you can take that for what it's worth and then see how that helps you. But, you know, I also want to create spaces for us to like rise up together and be a community. And I, there's, there's so many, there's so much room for all of us to succeed, you know? And, and I just, again, I just love everything that you are representing for us. And I thank you so much for being on Latinas with Masters podcast. I definitely wanted, um, I know that when we connected before, the podcast we definitely had our own conversation and I was just kind of, I was super excited that we were able to to get this going right away so thank you very much um I don't know if you will have any like any last words before we um before we finish off 
because sometimes I cut people off and I'm sorry, people, I forget. So that's why I'm like, I'm going to make it a conscious decision to make sure my guests have something to say because they're like, oh, I wanted to thank you. I wanted to say something like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I totally, I'll add it on the thing. So that's just the realness of me, you guys. I apologize. So I'm going to give you your platform so you can say <laughs> No, I mean, thank you so much for having me on. I really love having these conversations because I don't think that I had these conversations when I was thinking about going to school. I didn't have anyone to talk to or to, you know, pick their brain or just ask for advice. And I'm very much like you. Every semester when I end with my students, I always tell my students the whole purpose of a teacher is to give you the tools to go off and do better than I ever could. So I'm not like the professor that's like, I know better than you, you're just a student. No, I'm trying to empower my students to get what they need and do more things that I could, I could ever do, right? It's, that's the whole point of being a professor. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel about everything. The whole point is to empower everyone else, to empower each other and the community to do better, to be better. Um, and so I'm, I'm an open book in that sense too. If anyone who's listening wants to connect with me, I'm always open to have conversations and give you my two cents. That's, that's all that I can offer. And I really like being a resource to my students and to whoever I can be a resource to. So hit me up on IG. I'm happy to answer questions if you have them, or if you just want to pick my brain, I'm, I'm here for everything. So Thank you so much, Christina, for having me. It's been a pleasure. And I know we could talk for like three hours. <laughs> so we'll have to uh, continue the conversation for sure. But thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, you guys, we can definitely can keep on talking. I'm looking at the time like, okay, you guys, I don't want to lose you guys. So um, I will definitely tag her um, on the Instagram post that I will share on Instagram, of course. Um, but Again, thank you so much for being a guest on Latinas with Masters podcast. And I hope you guys enjoyed the show and I will talk to you guys later. Peace out, you guys. Bye.